What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to the Self-Destruction Podcast, where we give you the tools and insights to improve your lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation with the top minds in their field today. Brought to you by SEAC, a global leader in lifelong learning and innovation. Check them out at seasiacenter.com. I've got all their details down in the show notes. I'm your host, Dana Blue, and in this episode, I sit down with Andreas Homer, the CEO and co-founder of Make a Bangkok-based design firm that has built cutting-edge systems for a who's who of international clients. Andreas and I talk about the future of work and what next-generation organizations might look like. Andreas and I get pretty deep on what organizations can do to move themselves into a more modern, flat type of architecture. There's really a lot to unpack here, so sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. Andreas, thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I'm very glad to be here. Now, one of the things that you talk a lot about, and I know that you're, you're really passionate about, is the future of work. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. And I know you have some some ideas, some concepts, some frameworks about what the future of work will be. So you yeah. talk to us about that. Okay. So um, first thing to note maybe is that no one actually knows the answer to, to that question, right? There's a, there's a lot of smart people thinking okay, about it. Okay, show over then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of uh, smart people thinking about it. Um, and so what's emerging, I guess, is a, you know, a sense of where things are heading. So we mm-hmm. can talk about that. Um, uh, and it, it, I can also give you answers on a couple of different levels. Like there's a the long answer, there's a short answer, there's a super short answer. Mm-hmm. So the super short one is that the future work is like the roundabout. Um, uh, using an analogy there, which is quite helpful. Um, but I think we probably need to explain that a little bit more. Right? So the, the, sh- the shorter answer is that uh, more and more people are talking about the, 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 that there's an old way of doing things and a new way of doing things, right? Um, the, the old way, to d- again, go back to analogy, is to say that the uh, work is like the traffic light. It's built for a specific function. It's kind of rigid. It's kind of stale. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy built into it, but it sort of works. But we're talking about the way we work, yeah. that we actually come to the office, the way we approach problems, solve problems. That's what you're talking about when you say yeah. the future of work, what yeah. it will look like, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so um, if if you imagine if you imagine again back to the analogy, saying that okay, a traffic light, it's it's built for a specific function, and it, it it works, but perhaps you you can see yourself uh, sitting at the traffic light late late at night. There's no car other cars around. It's it's red. You're waiting for a minute and a half. You know you don't. There's no one else there, but you still wait because you know you're supposed to wait, right? Uh, not very efficient. Some people wait. Yeah, some people, uh, some people wait. wait. Exactly. Yeah. In 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 Bangkok, maybe not. But um, generally, during the day, they don't wait. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Um, the 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 point that I'm trying to make here is that um, the traffic light, just like the old style organizations that we have today, were built and designed on the premise that people are best controlled. They need to be they need to be given specific rules about how they how they do things. Right. Now. What's what's happening lately is that this this new world of work is emerging, and it's more like the roundabout. It provides some basic structures for the flow of traffic, but it's built on the or designed on the idea that people are best left to their own devices. So, if the traffic light was built for efficiency, the roundabout is built for for effectiveness. Right. So, now I just want to throw a wrench in the analogy okay, and, yeah. and see what you think about it. Yeah. You can go a lot faster in a straight line, though, than you can in a circle. Ah, uh, so so that's interesting. So um, uh, there's not a lot of roundabouts in in Thailand or the U.S. I think in in Europe we have a lot more, right? But um, generally, 
uh, the runabout actually works much better. Uh, there's statistics of this saying that fatalities are down like 90%. Um, they're easier to build, easier to maintain. Uh, they degrade gracefully. You know, if the power comes out, then the roundabout continues to work. <laughs> it still functions. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so what people are saying is that, okay, again, it, you know, this is a, an analogy, right? But they're saying that if we can model our organization space on the same premise, then potentially we should see similar gains. Okay, so I, I, I kind of get where you're going with it. So I see, and I, I know that in Europe, you guys do have a lot more roundabouts, right? And they're bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the ones we have in the U.S. for the most part are small, and they, they kind of cause a congestion point. Whereas okay. in, in Europe, you guys have much bigger ones with better flow control. Right. And so I get in that context, I can see where it it makes sense. You think about you kind of come in, you get off where you need to go, you manage yourself in between. Yeah. If everyone does it appropriately and no one's trying to race through or, sure. or break the rules, then yeah. it works better. Yeah. It makes sense. So how do we apply that? How do we apply that concept to the office? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, which yeah, gets us to the to the long answer, right? So, um, in, in in academia, you talk about organizational paradigms, uh, and and right now we're we're just in the in the between state between two of these paradigms. But if you imagine, um, a, a, sorry, a continuum uh, in front of you on the on the left hand side, you have. Uh, the the first organizational paradigm, which is for some reason we, we color code these things. I don't know why, uh, but the because why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the first one is called the red paradigm, and so a red organization tends to be very small. Um, the typical example here is um, the the mafia or a wolf pack or something. Something that's you know um, there's one guy on top. Mm -hmm. He rules with an iron fist. This organization can't be very uh, big because the the arm of that the, um, dictator doesn't mm -hmm. reach very far away. But then we move uh, one step to the right. We get to the amber organization, which is more like an army. So now there's structure in place. There's still a guy on top um, pulling the shots, but or calling the shots. But um, it's 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 very much a command and control structure. And then we move on to to uh, yellow, which is more like the um, multinational organizations that we see today. There's a couple of people calling the shots, and the rest of the of the organization is office workers can work really well, obviously. That's why we have multinational organizations functioning like that. Where we are at right now, though, the sort of the, the, the furthest most point where where you can f find out quite a lot of organizations is what's called green. And then in, in a green organization, everyone is more or less autonomous. There's still a hierarchy, um, and, and I still report to you, but you give me the freedom that I need in order to, to get my work done. You, you might give me um, objectives, but then I figure out the rest. Mm. Now, that's where that's sort of the most um, progressive um, organizational structure that you find today. But the next step after that, that's what we're really talking about when we talk about the future work. Uh, in a, in a color code setting, we talk about teal organization. But there's a lot of different um, words for this. Either some people call it irresponsible organizations, other people call it evolutionary organizations. The point here being that this paradigm is the first time that we're completely go doing away with uh, command and control structures. There is no longer a hierarchy, and the organizations instead work like a, uh, a network of independent nodes. So every person has as much say to where the company is going as to anyone else. And so you need to be self-organized. Uh, and that obviously puts a lot of different strains on the structures that you put in place and the how you lead that organization. So you talk about leading that organization, but if everyone has an equal say or as much say in 
how the organization moves or the strategies they apply, who, yeah. need, who really needs to lead. Yeah. So um, I, I think what we will see is the need and the rise of a new type of leadership. So um, I usually talk about these, these three levels of leadership. Um, you, you have the tactical leadership that's deciding how to get things done. You have the strategic leadership about you know what to do and why to do it, right? But then uh, I think we, we, we th- th- this is already a, a thing, but we will see more of it, I think, structural leadership or systems leadership. You need someone who's able to put the, the systems in place. And this could be technical systems, it could be procedural systems, it could be cultural systems. Um, just, like, just like the roundabout, basically put some basic tenants in place mm. and then people can operate within that structure. So, so, so a couple of a couple of um, examples of this might be. I'm not sure if you heard of holacracy before. No. So holacracy is a, um, a a way to structure organizations that are that that emphasizes self management. Um, uh, unlike what most people, f- first time you hear about holacracy, you might think it's complete chaos. Uh, but actually, it's the complete opposite. It's very, very structured. Perhaps too structured. Some people say. Um, because it tells you um, what kind of roles and responsibilities are available in the organization. It tells you which of those roles are available to you uh, and how you make decisions and all these things. Everything's structured um, uh, very similar, actually, to if you're a practitioner of Agile, then you'll you'll see similarities. Okay. Um, So holacracy or sociocracy or any other of these these variations that you you find... um, they don't tell you what to do and why, but it just gives you the OS, the operating system. So that's essentially what we're talking about. You know what this sounds like to me? Mm-hmm. Sounds like the Borg. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe I'm sure you've heard that before, because yeah. I think a lot of Trek nerds probably roll in this world. Yeah. But resistance futile. Yeah. yeah. It sounds very Borgish yeah. to me, yeah. Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? Actually, it, um, the analogy might not be uh, might not be completely bad either. Because if you look at, um, I think the biggest cor- corporation right now working according to holo- holocratic principles is Sappos, uh, the the, well, the shoe company. The shoe company, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they've had a lot of issues with it. Um, so there's, you can find, uh, I think the re- most recent one was a New York Times article that talks about um, um, the problems that they've had. So it's, uh, so um, it is. It is not easy to switch over to self-management, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of employees and a lot of staff have left Sappos and have left other co- organizations that are doing the same thing. As a result, one of the things that that we do here at SEAC is uh, one of the, one of the, the programs that we teach is called self-leadership. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it, it's not leadership and management are two very different things, but I, I think those concepts apply in that type of world where you need to be able to understand your own motivations as well as what it is you need to do and how to get things done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, this is a very interesting concept. I think it, it fits well there, but I, I have a hard time correlating my Borg analogy with the word leadership, so yeah, I'm yeah. going to move away from that. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, no, but, but, um, uh, so, so what are some of the, the issues that Zappos has had, though, like, some of some of the big issues that you talked about. Well, well, the the first thing that comes to mind is that because y- everything has to be decided um, communally, um, 
that you end up in these long, long, long meetings mm. and, and these sort of uh, analysis paralysis. Well, that's kind of the opposite of agile. Yeah, though. exactly. So, so um, there is when it comes to holacracy per se. So that's holacracy is just one of many ways you can uh, one one OS to choose from. Right? Mm. Um, they seem to have a bit of an issue with this stuff, but it, it, you know, also it depends on who you talk to. I was on, on a call the other day with with a, a, a holacracy coach, mm. and obviously his point of view is saying, well, you know they just implemented it slightly wrong and you can actually uh, alleviate that by doing x y and z and then it should be fine right um so but they still have a ceo right they, they still do. a ceo that drives zappos yeah that's true so how holacracy can it be Ho- mm-hmm. ho- holocratic holocratic yeah, how holocratic can yeah, it be yeah. if you still have a ceo who's setting goals setting strategy and driving the mission and vision forward. Yeah, that seems to me, at least, and I, I might be wrong, but that seems to be at odds with that fundamental concept. Right. Well, so so for for Sappos, I'm actually not sure. I'm not sure. Absolutely, the there is a CEO at mm. Sappos, and and he's calling the shots. But I so I don't know the details of that particular example. But um, to use to, to use a couple of other another um, examples of of what this type of OS might look like. So. Um, there was a book uh, that came out a few years ago now, which is very um, um, often referenced in terms of these these kind of things. And the book was written by a guy called Frederick Lelux, and he it was called Reinventing Organizations. And in that, you will find a couple of uh, examples for for uh, organizations like Favi, which is an Italian manufacturer of auto parts, okay. and Morningstar, which is an American tomato oh, producer. Yeah. Morningstar is uh, they do uh, vegan food also, I think. Oh, maybe they do. Yeah. yeah. So, so in both of these cases, there are no managers. So, so these these uh, th- this is production uh, companies, like they mm. produce stuff. And there's no uh, management. There's no management, and and you know, oftentimes when I start talking about these things, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine for you guys. You are a technology company. You have innovation. You guys are self-managed. You you can do that. But uh, you know, I run a factory. I can never do that. But Morningstar and Favi shows you that that's not true. Um, for and 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 actually, if we switch gears a little bit to talk about how you ha- what you have to do in order to make the shift, um, a bit uh, paradoxically you have to make a top-down decision to be bottom-up. That's how it has to start. Someone at the top needs to say, I'm going to step away from making all the decisions, and I'm going to trust the employees to do what's right. And so what happened in Morningstar and and Favi and other organizations like that is that's exactly what happened. For some reason, the guy who put in all the money to run to, to start the company, he basically said, you know what, I'm not going to decide these things. You guys are going to do it. Um, and, and there's there's other there's other examples as well. Like there's a um, uh, healthcare company in in the Netherlands called Budzag, I think, um, and they're like ten thousand people. It's a nursing opera- operation. Well, I was just about to ask how big is Morningstar and Favi? Yeah, they're, they're big. Uh, I know Favi. I don't know, but but Budzag is is thousands of employees, and they basically organize themselves in units of of ten to twenty or something like that, and then they they become self organizing uh, in that sense. A little hive action going on. Yeah, and and the. The, the cool thing here is that not only are they self-organizing, but they're also vastly outperforming the competition. So Favi, for example, is one of the only uh, auto parts manufacturers in Europe who's actually exporting to China as, a, uh, uh, you know, as opposed to vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Morningstar, again, is an also a very profitable company who's, who's have all their operations in the U.S., and Burtzag is is also vastly more performant than their ca- their counterparts. 
so how do they how how does the system make that performance jump happen yeah so um i think this is where this is where i have to come back to this idea of like no one really knows the answer okay. um there you have to put so this the second part of the puzzle here so first of the management have to take uh, take a decision not to take decisions you know uh, step one um, but you can't just do that and then expect everything to just fall into place. You have to put these systems in place um, um, is to support people being self-managed. And so how do you do that? It's a very good question. Right? Um, it, it has to do with um, going back to, to, to look at what the organizations was actually founded to do. Um, in, in the book Reinventing Organizations, they talk about three specific things. They talk about uh, self-management, so you need to have systems in place for that. Um, they also talk about wholeness, which is a sort of a, um, uh, a nod towards spirituality and being in, in self self-awareness and motivation and coaching and uh, the, the more soft skills. And mindfulness. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is evolutionary purpose, which goes back to, to your first point, actually, about if everyone has a say of where you're going, then what is the organization's purpose? Mm. Um, and so, you know, there are books written about this. So, so, so you know, there's, there's definitely more to, to learn there. But um, given a certain OS, then these things um, sh will self-materialize and you cannot control exactly what they are. And which, which, which is why this uh, is such a big decision for management mm. is to sort of let go and see what happens. Right? It's a risky decision. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like if you look at look at my company, um, so so Make is is seven years old. So yeah. I was about to ask where you fall in that color spectrum. Yeah. So so um, Make is probably green, um, with some tendencies, the leanings towards the teal mm. uh, operating system, um, and. Uh, actively trying to move further to the right, um, simply because we are tr we are trying to grow. Like we're 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 55 people right now. Uh, we're going to take on some some additional people uh, as we as we go now. And it 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 used to be be before I I really got into this stuff. Um, you know, you took your your um, uh, pointers from traditional management theories, and, and which basically said like you need to put these your hierarchies in place, you need to put the control structures in place. And that's cool. Uh, the only way you can do that, though, is to insert, self, uh, insert middle management. Mm. That's the only way you can do it, right? And if you do that, then you know, it's not the organization that I want to be part of. Um, I want to be self-managed. I want to do my own thing. Um, and so why shouldn't everyone else? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're the CEO, co-founder at Make, so... It's a, a big decision for you to yeah. give up the concept of having more control. And are you comfortable with not driving the vision of your company? That's a very, very good point. I mean, uh, to, to be completely honest, I am currently driving the, the, the purpose. Yeah. Um, but also actively trying to involve people in that in that work. So so if you if you if you you know pop the hood of make a actively involving people is yeah. and I know you said you have tendencies to teal but you're yeah. not there yet yeah. but actively involving people is much different than letting them drive. Oh yeah for sure for sure. Um but if you pop, pop the hood at, at make um you'll find that there's there's uh, on on the one side there's a constant pressure because we are a services organization which means mm. that 
if you if if you and I work together, then the chances are like a hundred percent of your time is going to be um, uh, with working for one or more customers. Mm-hmm. And so there's basically no more time for you to to talk about these things, right? And so what we're trying to do right now is basically uh, backstep and say, okay, well, uh, as of as of next month, Dana, you're going to have twenty five percent of your time set aside for doing organizational development purposes. Um, so that's 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 you know that's actually part of the operating system that you have to put in place. You have to m- allow people, you have to give them the time and attention in order to do these things. So then, as a CEO, you're comfortable with impacting your bottom line. Yes, and but uh, I I, I, do, I am because at the end of the day, I think if if people come first, then the bottom line will sort of sort itself out. But so you said yourself that so you're a services company, right? So yeah. if someone works for you, essentially their billable time is what's really important. Yeah. To your bottom line, your profitability, your ability to grow and scale. Yeah. If you then say take away 20% of that billable time and put it back into organizational development or self-development, which I, I think are, are very good things, but... How do you pay for that? How do you pay for that? Yeah. And then as a services company, how do you justify... How, how are you justifying that as the CEO of a services company trying to move from green to teal? Yeah. So... so um, Again, going back to to the to the systems um, part of this, because if you make if you make that change, mm. then you cannot let that you know you cannot not just do that. You have to do a lot of other things. For example, you n- you now have to recalculate your rates mm. um, to account for the fact that you're going to be working less hours. You need to you need to charge more for the hours that are left. And how do you then justify that to towards clients? Well, that's another piece of the puzzle, right? For me, I look at it this way. Um, there's a lot of other companies uh, in in Bangkok, in Thailand, uh, internationally that does what we do. Um, we are only as good as the people that we have on staff. And so, if I can build an organization that uh, attracts and retains the best talent, then I'm set. I don't have to worry about anything else because the, the customers will come to me. Right? Um, and and how do I do that? Well, you hope, but you still have to have a sales team and onboard customers, build your funnel, right? Uh, or no. Well, so seven seven years going, we still don't have marketing. We still don't have sales. Everything mm. is sort of self sustaining, um, which we're you know, we're lucky to have it that way. So so we have a very high NPS scores. We have very high engagement scores, um, and you know it's a continuous uh, continuous improvement basically to to try to optimize for those these things. Um, so we we talk actually uh, um, if if I go back to to this idea of of how you implement this. So so one of the things. Um, that I that I that we do at Make and that I recommend that a lot of other people do as well, is to sit down with employees and ask them whether or not they are fulfilled. So so it's it's a very powerful question. I was, right? just, w- I was just about to say that yeah. exact same thing. And and it's and to be honest, it was really scary to sit down and talk to people about that. Um, a lot of companies right now they 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 measure employee engagement and saying like well we're, we're and and make is no different i used to have an engagement platform that i measured every week or something like that just to keep track of where things are at but if i s- if i sit down uh, and with you in a one to one and ask you Dana, how how engaged are you like it's an abstract question you're like what i i don't know like it's not even something i think about i don't uh, my plan is not to be engaged at work mm. fulfillment on the other hand is very personal so this is something that you can actually uh, relate to and give me very deep insights on and and so what happens is that we sit down and we have a conversation about fulfillment and say okay well fulfillment comes from three sources is the is the impact that you're having on the organization is the growth opportunities that you have learning new things and this it, it comes from the relationships that you build and so 
let's say that you, s you, you say, oh, well, I think fulfillment, mm, uh, five out of 10. And then I would ask you, well, you know, if we wanted that to be eight out of 10, three, three months from now or six months from now, what needs to happen? Mm. And then we try to make that happen for you. And, and you know, going back now to the, to the OS system, uh, the, the operating system of this whole thing. Now, it used to be in the old way of doing things that organizations were optimized for profit or for revenue, right? But what do you think would happen if we optimize for fulfillment instead? Well, so I want to ask a follow-up question. Sure. Zero relevance put on to profit? Mm-hmm. Just fulfillment? Yeah. 100%. I don't know. I, I have no answer to that question. Yeah. I can't even... I'm having a hard time even fathoming it to build your business around something other than profit. You know what? Um, uh, for for and uh, make to make this very practical at make we have I have four uh, metrics that I that I track so so basically every um, every new joiner that comes to comes on board they go through a bunch of onboarding sessions and the first one is basically me defining what success looks like mm. for 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 make and we say that su success for make is striking a balance between four things company profitability is one of them because at the end of the day we ha you know we're a business we we're, we we have to make sure that we can pay salaries yeah. and, and, you know, and cover and expenses. Yeah, and reinvest in, in ourselves, right? So, so company profitability is one of them. Fulfillment is another. Customer satisfaction is, is the third. And company reputation is a fourth. And the whole point here being that, again, back to this system analogy, you can't optimize for one at the expense of the others. You have to do all four in unison. So if, if we optimize for profitability, well, chances are engagement, fulfillment, uh, reputation will suffer. Uh, so so here we're saying, okay, we have to strike a balance between these two. So what does your LP look like then to optimize for four metrics simultaneously within your company? So, so um, yeah, that's uh, easier said than done, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, if you figured it out, I want to. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> tell everyone how to do it. Yeah, no, I, I haven't figured it out, but it, it, <laughs> here's here's how here's how here's honest, how, yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. No, here's how we do it, um, or, or how we currently do it. But again, it's a continuous improvement cycle, right? Yeah. Um, uh, at at Make, we use um, OKR, objectives and key results, which is mm. a. Um, a very simple goal-setting method made popular by, by Intel and Google and yeah. those kind of guys. Um, I, I, I say simple. Conceptually, it's very simple. Um, it's actually very hard to do. Yeah, the, the back end is obviously yeah. much more difficult than what it appears to be. Right. So, so um, we, set, we set company OKRs on a yearly basis, and, and th you will see how they reflect these four, uh, four aspects. So, so uh, you will never find... Uh, OKR set that does not pay tribute to each of these four uh, to make sure that we always are able to strike a balance. Mm. And then going back to self-management, actually, um, so so I set I set OKRs for the company as a whole, but then we 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 organized in guilds and crews. I can talk more about that if you want. But um, each of these uh, sub components of the of the company is then free to set their own OKRs. The only thing that I ask is that they do track what they're doing. And then they decide what to do, and and um, but there is alignment in place because they can see what I'm trying to do, and I basically ask them, say, here's what I'm doing. What can you do to help me? Mm. Um, uh, and and chances are they will leverage the same four metrics in in how they track their progress as well. So you said you have crews and guilds yeah. within that structure. What does that look like? Yes. So so um, again, this is something that is currently evolving, but. Um, 
uh, for us, a guild is a discipline-specific group of people. Mm. So if you are uh, interested in machine learning, you get together with other people that are interested in the same thing. Uh, and and it's not the same as a department per se, because you can in in the machine learning guild you can have people from any any department, any right? crew. Yeah. Oh, any department. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the department is the traditional sort of. There's there's um, um, we say that our we don't have managers, we have coaches. So so mm. um, if you report to someone, that person is a servant leader is supposed to help you. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to tell you what to do. You're supposed to be self managed right? Um, but if we leave that to one side, departments to one side. So a guild is is a group of people that are self-managed. They they come together to forward our capabilities within a certain area. That's what they do. So typically they will they will come together once per week to do a knowledge sharing session about new things within whatever they are talking about, right? Be it machine learning or strategic design or something else. Is that how you kind of work towards mastery with that? With is that to help each other develop skill sets within? That's what exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I remember I was listening to another podcast that you did um, uh, a few a few weeks ago, um, and you brought up uh, Daniel Pink's um, book Drive. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so 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 yeah, he has these three things that is um, uh, autonomy, freedom, and purpose, right? That he that he talks about. Great um, book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good book. Um, so so th- that's absolutely right. Guilds are there to to forward our capabilities, and that is all about learning and growth. Um, but we also have this second uh, grouping that we call crews. Um, and the difference here is that the crews are non-discipline specific. So a crews is a group of people that come together to take ownership of a specific function within the company. So I have crews for the process of how we do Agile, for example. I have something called a happy crew. Um, the happy crew is basically responsible for making sure that Onboarding is, is good, uh, that we have a, uh, a karaoke night over here, mm-hmm. that we have, uh, you know, um, a company trips over there. Um, and, and so, so they, have, they have autonomy to take on, um, to, to make decisions within their, their areas um, mm. and, and um, budget and, and all these things. Right? And, and we my, my co-founder, Andrew, and I, we typically don't get involved unless there's a big piece of expenditure that they need to get get um, green light on. Then, then we, then we. So you guys, you and Drew, try to be as hands off as as possible. Yeah, yeah. Because we we, we realize like I- if we need to be involved in everything, that we're never going to be able to grow, right? You're not going to be almost sixty people for sure if you have to touch every uh, problem. Yeah, I I know that even the biggest company I ever started got to about twelve people. Mm-hmm. At twelve people, I was overwhelmed. Yeah, overwhelmed with how to manage, how to implement things. And I ended up, I sold that company, so I didn't have to continue managing it. But I I can't imagine, like, at 50, if you did have to manage the same way I managed at 12, it would be incredibly challenging. Yeah. And, I I mean, I don't know that, I know you're trying to move to that teal OS. I don't know how comfortable I would be if I was CEO to let go of the reins, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Or not even let go, but hand the reins to everyone else, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, two, two things come to mind. First, first. Um, so this is, this is the first company that I start and run. Mm. So I've been an employee uh, all my life. Um, and uh, learning by doing, but um, having the, the 
I've been lucky to 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 talk to a bunch of people that have done this journey before and and realize that uh, there are points in in the organizational development where you do need to reinvent yourself completely. Mm. The one comes at 15, another comes at 25, another with 50, you know. And and when you when you when you find a company um, that has successfully scaled from zero to 500 in mm. a year incredible respect because oh, yeah. the amount of work that that takes is insane and, if, and if you do it quickly i, I, don't I, really I can't even do yeah. i can't even imagine it but my, my question I, I wanted to ask you how did you get comfortable enough to make this sort of decision or was it just out of necessity that you kind of got to that first stage where you, you can't do it anymore the way you were doing it and you had to do something new yeah or did you start to come into this sort of um love affair with the future of work that you realize that you want to start to implement some of these concepts? I think it's hard for me to to say exactly, you know, what tipped the scale. Mm. But at the end of the day, I think it comes back to this the, the question about fulfillment, but apply it to myself. Mm. Like, what is it that I want to get out of it? So I'm, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Um, I I work a lot and I have been working a lot mm. and that's not necessarily like to be sure I definitely want to do I, I want to do work that I'm proud of and that um, helps me grow and I build relationships and so on but I also want to make sure that I can balance that with with family time right mm. uh, and uh, I also want to I want to read and I want to write that's you know um, and so the question come I actually had a coaching session um, with with a with a, a coaching friend of mine um uh, i don't know if you have ever had prof- professional life coaching but it's no yeah, uh, it's, it's um it, if, if you find the right person mm. it could be a transformative experience because yeah. they they will poke and poke and like why do you want that why are you not doing this what what you need to get there uh, mm. and that, that's what happened to me and um basically came to the point where okay so if if i'm not happy and this is a few years ago now. If I'm not happy in this situation right now, what do I need to do to change that? And and that's where all this stuff comes from. If I want to have time and energy to spend time with uh, family, and I want to have time and energy to read and write, and I want time and energy to 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 do to for fitness and workouts and stuff like that, which is which is another thing that I I'd like to do. Um, I need to transform the organization at the sixes. I I cannot take all the decisions. I have to um, um, let someone else take on the reins. I think that's kind of a good place to, to start to wrap it up, Andreas. Sure. I, uh, I like where you're at headspace-wise. Uh, do me a favor. Before we go, just let the listeners know if you could recommend one thing to start to any entrepreneur, any CEO who's out there to start moving in this direction from whatever color they're at now to move more towards that green or that tail teal what would be your one recommendation to them? I, th- I think it would have to be this fulfillment question. Mm. Um, take the plunge. Ask people if they're fulfilled. And if not, and, and, and you know, they're probably going to be varied, que- varied answers. If they're not, figure out how to continuously optimize for, for fulfillment and see what happens. Awesome. Uh, Andreas, thank you so much for coming by. I appreciate you. your time. Uh, I'm glad to be here. You've been listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, brought to you by SEAC. To find amazing resources on lifelong learning, leadership, and innovation, you can check them out at seasiacenter.com, as well as their links in the show notes. 
And for more great conversations like this one, you can find our archive at selfdestructionpodcast.com.